Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you guys a game recap of the Thunder New Orleans Pelicans game and I'm sorry for not getting you guys any content for the past two days in the process of moving out so it kind of took an arm of a leg and a leg to uh to get this one out but yeah we are here and what a game we watched Wednesday night and the first thing was obviously Josh Giddy. like he's just not playing because if you saw on his TikTok this is where he drops pretty much every bit of news it's really weird but he posted on his TikTok his ankle looks really bad like there is a grapefruit forming on his ankle right now so he is not he wasn't greenlit to play in this game for the next couple ones we don't know there's five games they are done with two now so there's two more and then they're either going to play you know a team at random or however they do the rankings or if they're in the top two they're going to be in the championship game but they needed to get a victory against the pelicans to do so and they also entered this game at one and oh the thunder as we all know, they were able to get it done against Cade Cunningham on Sunday, but a bit of a different circumstance now. And the Thunder, they got pretty hot, you know, at, to begin the game. And that's something that happened in the first game, too. It was a 4-0 start, two really nice finishes around the basket, and, you know, that's how they got it going, really. I mean, Trey Mann started off, he had a 23-foot step back, and then Charlie Brown Jr., of all people, he got the starting nod in this one, did not see the starting bid last time but he proved his worth he had a dunk and then a triple on the other end so 7-2 looked really good but then the pelicans they were able to get seven points of their own so it was seven to seven and that's kind of where you start looking for footing you know this is a neck and neck game and the thunder they needed to step up they were not able to do that and that was capitalized at the two minute mark when the pelicans they closed out on an 8-0 stretch so they were down a point to now being up seven points and they looked like they were in the driving seat and when you look what the thunder were doing they had a couple of good highlights in the first quarter there was a train man no look pass to josh hall like right under the rim and you know he took a little bit too much time it's not his fault you know i mean he bobbled it a bit with the with the ball in his hands but you know he just wasn't able to secure it fast enough and he blew the layup and you know that was kind of that but they found themselves out 22 to 17 going into that second quarter and the second quarter you know whether it's blue basketball thunder basketball the second quarter always tends to be where the thunder strive and it's because their bench unit i mean whenever you look at what their bench unit was last season you had guys like teo ty jerome just a bunch of firecrackers and even on the blue they had rob edwards you know ryan woolridge omer yurt seven a lot of different guys and that's kind of what they were looking for in their second unit in the last game and they were able to do that this game, too, because they started on a 13-2 run. The Pelicans got held to four misses in a row. And they look good again because Aaron Wiggins, he was the main guy. In the game one, he went off. He was doing a lot of footwork and a lot of post spins. He did it again. He dropped six points, really just in the shortest span of all time. I think it was six consecutive points going his way as well where he had a reverse layup through a little bit of traffic like it wasn't like you know just right under the rim flip it up and in he had to go around a body to get there and he did a spectacular job in doing so and then on the very next play transition dunk but again you had the pelicans knocking back on that front door the streak that 13-2 run got snapped 
And then Aaron Wiggins snapped right back in the action. He had a three-point shot that he was able to pop right out. So really nine out of 16 points. That's a crazy streak for the second rounder. And he's really proved his worth. And that's kind of the stretch where you get a bit of defense, a lot of offense. And, you know, he's not just this three-point shooter like we, you know, kind of always pictured him as. He's starting to branch out. And it's not like he just started to. We really haven't seen a good glimpse of him until this week. But he's been blossoming. And, you know, that two-point game, particularly with the footwork, doesn't resemble you know, a almost undrafted guy. So it's pretty ridiculous to see some of the stuff that he is doing. And then also with Jeremiah Robinson Earl too, because in that second quarter, he had a beautiful pin down block on Najee Marshall. And if you guys do not know who that is, you know, I'm not going to be knocking at you for it because really he doesn't play much. He didn't play much for the Pelicans last year. And, you know, the way I describe him, kind of a speedier guard, Good at defense, um, but he's been kind of performing really well in this summer league. And I know in game one, he exploded. Like, he stole the show from everybody. Obviously, Trey Murphy went off too, but he looked really good. And he was looking to get blood against Jeremiah Robinson Earl. So he was slashing inside for a layup, and JRE just came swooping in. This wasn't, you know, a standstill or anything. He had to come from behind, and he pinned the ball against the left part of the backboard. And then the play just kept going. But on the very next possession kind of a scramble. I think it was Trey Murphy who tried dunking on him, and Trey Murphy has some really good hops. He's kind of like Aaron Wiggins, where he wasn't expected to be doing some of the things he's done, but he does it anyways. So he's soaring up, trying to dunk on him, catch a body, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, this was uh, you know a face-up block. He elevated and was able to meet him there, and it was a clean block. Like You can check the replay. Now, they called a foul on it. There were a couple of pretty odd fouls that were given throughout the night, um, but that was definitely one of them. So, you know, he had a really good chase down block, and then he followed it up with the poster stuff, or just kind of wasn't meant to be. But yeah, I mean, the defense was there, and the major concern in the second quarter, and really throughout the game, was what they were doing offensively, because the percentages were not great, and they started out nice with that 13-2 stretch, but... You know, they gave the Pelicans a way back in. You know, they went one of nine in a cold spell. And then the Pelicans, they were good to go. Trey Murphy, floaters, multiple floaters to get them in. They got them the lead. And then they were able to get up 35 to 32. By the end of the quarter, I think it was 35-35 based off of an Oscar De Silva free throw. And then they might have got like an extra layup in there. But it was 35 all come halftime. And when you look at the stats... It's almost identical. I mean, the Thunder, they shot 38.2% from the field. And for the Pelicans, not even a percentage point better. They shot 38.9%. The big deal, though, that I saw in the first half compared to last game was the Thunder did not have a primary option. You had Teo, who had like six or eight points. That wasn't the big deal. He had like seven assists in the first half, and he was able to spread the love to everybody. And there were just way too many options. There wasn't a primary guy, and Aaron Wiggins kind of was, but when all your points are coming in a span of like one to two minutes, I don't know if you want to put it in that category. Like, you can explode, you can take over, but you need to have someone who's going to be playing the full 10, 20 minutes of that half and able to, you know, not just benefit yourself, but also your teammates. So Aaron Wiggins was the standalone guy for me in that first half, but you know, there wasn't someone straight up carrying the team per se. And for the Pelicans, kind of the same. Like, Trey Murphy was hitting shots. He was getting his floaters. But 
there wasn't the X factors on either side. And that's why you saw kind of a low scoring first half and why you saw those percentages pretty low. I mean, sub 40, that's pretty ugly. And from three, you know, the OKC, they shot better than they did last time. So I'll give them that. But they shot four of 11 in that first half, which is all right, you know, but it could have been a little bit better, of course. And from the foul line, they were getting up there often early and often they got 10 free throw tries they only hit five of them though and that was kind of what set them in that position you know if they were out there hitting their free throws they'd be up five points and they would have all the momentum but since they were bricking shots at the foul line it gave the pelicans a chance and that's how they were able to storm back from you know that 13-2 run where it seemed like it was all but over for them so the second half started right back off and OKC, they were adamant on getting threes. And this is something we have not seen. Like naturally in that first half, they were going for threes. And game one, they weren't going for threes in general, but they were headhunting. And they shot four straight threes to start the half. And they only hit one of them. And with that, the Pelicans, they were just going to their bread and butter, which was inside. They weren't actually killing it from downtown in the first half. So they were penetrating. They were just looking to get offensive rebounds. And they got a 10-3 opening run off of it. So they're up seven points. And then Teo Maladone, he helped out a lot. He hits a straightaway three-point shot. And Trey Mann, he was able to hit not one, but actually two runners. And mixed in there, the Pelicans had a shot go in. So it was a two-point game going New Orleans' way. But just like the second quarter, and really the first quarter, there's this ending run going in New Orleans' favor, and it put them in a really good position. So they scored the final six points to go up 57-49, to and they were looking pretty good. And now you go into the fourth quarter where the Thunder, they're at that worst point. Like, before, it was kind of back and forth. You'd see a patch of 6-0. Someone would return the fire, right? But it was not like that anymore. So... They're going in there. They need to get a lot of quick buckets, and they couldn't get that. You know, the Pelicans, they actually gave the Thunder a chance, just like the Thunder did prior. Like, they were not making shots, but the Pelicans, the difference was they were hitting their shots early. You know, when the Thunder were vulnerable, they didn't do that. The Thunder, they were missing. First two or three minutes, it's pretty much scratch. There's, like, no points whatsoever. In New Orleans, they were able to kind of come to qualms with everything, and they start making shots. And that kind of helps set the tone, not just for the quarter, but for the game. So they took a 15-8 run to begin the fourth quarter. And that ended up putting them up by 15 points. With five minutes to go, you got to start hitting a lot of threes. And they just did not do that. You know, they made a late attempt. Like, they were trying to sneak back into double digits. But it was just not meant to be. Overall in the quarter, they shot 4 of 20. Or excuse me, they shot 6 of 20. So a little bit better, but like that's not great. And then from 3, they they shot 1 of 5. And that's not good percentages, but that's also not a good kind of output whenever you're down double digits for most of the quarter. And I get they can't shoot 3s. Like there were a lot of struggles in game 1. And they couldn't really shake them in this one. But you just got to start looking for those shots. And if they start dropping... You'll be good to go because that's what the Pelicans did. They were not really looking <laughs> that solid uh, until the fourth quarter from downtown, but they were able to get their act together. And in that fourth quarter, you know, they went two of five, 40%. And then inside, because, you know, they kind of keep them guessing a little bit from distance, 
They shot 9 of 15 overall, and I guess you want to break that down, that's 7 of 10 inside. So it was just a lot of paint action, a lot of penetration, and the pace of the game was just too much for the Thunder to handle at that point. So they ended up tossing this one 80 to 65. I don't know if that's the lowest point total we've seen in a summer league game yet, but it was not that high, and it was not very good on their end, and the Pelicans... They were able to get the job done. So they're one of seven teams right now to be undefeated. I know there's some games tonight as I'm recording this. There's going to be some tomorrow. I don't think the Pelicans are involved with either of those two, but they're good right now. So they're staying afloat for the Thunder. Now they're kind of just bunched in the middle of the pack. And this is not where you want to be. You know, when you check out the playoffs and you check out, you know, how tight the restrictions are for making the final two, I don't even know if one loss is going to do it for you because you're already halfway done with, I guess, the in-season play. And there's seven teams that are undefeated. And they, there might be some matchups where they clash and you'll be guaranteed to dwindle that number back down. But I'd imagine there's probably going to be three or four teams still undefeated and you have to start looking at tiebreakers. Like there are some monstrous teams. And the Pelicans, I'm not going to say they have the best constructed roster like they have Kara Lewis Jr. of course they have Trey Murphy Najee Marshall went off in this game but they're not the greatest but you know they're still hanging in there and that's one of the beauties of summer league like there's a lot of people that will come out and drop 20 points on your head and that's just kind of the name of the game here and that's what they were able to do you know you get some surprise guys in there they don't have to be the name brands and they just go in there and they were good like Najee Marshall 18 points and 11 rebounds for them. Kara Lewis Jr., of course, lottery pick, 12 points. And Trey Murphy, he actually had a quieter game than his debut. He had like 26, 27 points. Only had 10 in this one, but he was able to be really disruptive defensively. He had three steals, and overall, they forced 10 steals on the Thunder. Though, I will say, you know, the Thunder, they weren't just giving the ball away. Like, they only had... I believe it was 13, no, 14 turnovers. They had 10 in the last one. When they played against the Pistons, the Pistons had 20 turnovers. So ball security is not the issue. It's just shooting the basketball. And they shot 25 of 75 from the floor. 33.3%. Keep it repeating, I don't care. That's really bad overall to be shooting in one of these games. And from three, they shot even worse. They shot 7 of 29 That's 24.1%, and that's a lot better than what they shot in game number one. But they couldn't just go into the paint as their saving grace. They got outscored 28-40 to in the paint this game. On the flip side, when you check out the Pistons game, the Pistons got obliterated on that part of the game, you know? And they didn't have any swing factors like a free throw. You know, the Thunder only had 15. The Pelicans had 11, so you get a bit of an advantage but they went 8 of 15 there. So not a lot of big boosts on their end. And, you know, because of it, they're good. Pelicans 2-0, Thunder 1-1. They're going to have another shot against the Golden State Warriors on, I guess it would be Friday? Yeah, I think it's Friday when they're going to meet the Golden State Warriors. But, you know, there's still a lot to kind of digest from this one. And the first thing is Aaron Wiggins, of course, because there were not a lot of glistening spots you didn't have josh giddy trey man he had his highlight plays as always i'll talk about that later but the only constant i saw from game one to game two was actually aaron wiggins and this was a positive one for him 
off the bench, dropping 16 points and five rebounds. Played 23 minutes. That's not a lot. You're starting off the bench, making that impact. I think eventually, you know, Grant Gibbs, his hand is being forced. Might have to give him some starting minutes sooner rather than later. But, you know, overall, on those 16 points, he shot 7 of 16 from the floor. And the big moneymaker was the three ball at Maryland, shooting like 35, 36% from downtown. He shot 1 of 7 in this game, and it just was not falling. So instead of just backing down, playing super passive, he wanted to get right inside to the basket. And he capitalized because he ended up going 8, or excuse me, went six of nine from that area and damn i'd consider that you know pretty solid numbers on his end and it was more the same where you just see those post drives he wants to take it from the top of the key you know he gets his i think normally it's his uh, right foot i believe he uses as his pivot and he'll just stop he'll freeze frame where his right foot is behind the left while he's driving in typically from the right end and he plants it you know, he's able to kind of backpedal a little bit and he's able to get, you know, a push shot up, a turnaround up. He just gets it done. And multiple times in game one, he got open off of it. Multiple times in this one, he got open in doing that. And, you know, one time he actually got stuffed. Like he was taking contested spin jumpers. That's something that I've not only seen with Wiggins now. I know Jonathan Kuminga, whenever I scouted him, that was one of his tendencies that I didn't really like. But I'd assume he'd get that fixed at some point. And I don't know how often we're going to see Aaron Wiggins doing this truthfully because it's such a kind of orchestrated play to run, especially if you're going to put him into the Thunder system. Like, I don't know how high in the pecking order you'd want to put a drive by Aaron Wiggins leading to a post shot. It's worked, though. And maybe they want to test that. I think that's why he's on a two-way. You can put him on the OKC Blue and he can shoot those 10 times a game. You saw Pogoshevsky whenever he was playing. He handled the ball a decent bit across the timeline. And you did have to dice up those reps. There was Ty Jerome. There was Xavier Simpson. A lot of different people who can handle the basketball. But I think in a scenario where you want to have someone, you know, initiate the offense. And Aaron Wiggins shot like that would make a lot more sense, I think, in the G League. So if he's around there, that's probably a staple. It's an effective shot, but... I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it kind of gels as the Thunder's regular season kind of progresses. But when you look past the offensive side, his defense was great yet again. And it's the instincts, it's the 6'7 height, and then the wingspan kind of couples with that as well. So he's able to lodge the ball loose. He had two steals and one block in this game. I believe the block was actually kind of further out um, than most of the blocks in this game. So he's able to kind of close out on you get a fingertip on there and kind of get moving onto the other end of the ball. So, you know, I was really happy with what I saw in game one. Game two is no different. I loved Aaron Wiggins's game. And for Trey Mann, I'd say the same thing. I was impressed. Now, the numbers were not great. And it wasn't too shabby in game one. He shot like four of 12, four of 13, maybe even four of 14 or 15. I don't have it pulled up on me right now, but it wasn't good. <laughs> and it wasn't amazing in this one either. He shot 4 of 15 from the field, way more than anyone else on this team outside of Wiggins, of course. But he wanted to kind of cement himself as one of these scorers. And he got hot 
with that 23-footer early, and he had those second-quarter floaters to kind of sneak him back into play. But that was kind of it. You see bits and pieces with him, and you know he just was not getting the touches. And the thing that I'll say about Trey Mann is his game, a lot of the time, he wants to initiate. And his quick first step is like nothing on this Thunder roster. I'd say SGA has a quick first step. Most of the time, you get him going, the acceleration, that kicks in after a high ball screen. That's not how it works with Trey Mann. He is going from 0 to 100 after one dribble, and you don't even need the dribble, really. He's just lightning fast, and he was torching through people immediately. None of the guards could handle him, you know, from the Pistons' perspective. Might have been a couple, you know, hit, hit balls whenever he's trying to cross the timeline, but there were none against the Pelicans last night, and... He's blazes by him. The big deal, though, is that second kind of wall of defense. Those are the power forwards, the centers, and they're looking to chop your head off. And he wants to take the contact. He's not looking to kick it out to the top of the key or dump it off. And that's something that we saw a lot with the Florida Gators, actually. But it's been kind of sweep to the side. And that's not good. But I'm also happy that he's willing to kind of take the contact around the basket because a lot of the times you see these college guards, they step up to the plate in the big leagues and they're not willing to take the hits and they want to play kind of passive. And if I were to give a Thunder example, and obviously this is not 100% true, but like a Terrence Ferguson, you know, with Adelaide, he didn't take the traditional route. He was looking to dunk on people. He wanted to make the acrobatic finishes. We didn't really see that in the Thunder games outside of maybe like the Lakers won his rookie year. And that's that's the game for him. I don't know if there's that big of a palette when you look at what he's done overall. But, you know, that was where he stepped up. Um, but just not a lot. Trey Mann, two games through the books. He's looking to make contact. So he drives right in. He's absorbing hits. And because he went four of five, you know, that's a good indicator that he was not shying away from anybody. And when you check it out, 13 of those 15 shots came from inside. He had two three-pointers that just kind of rattled out, kind of strong bounce on both of them. But yeah, he wanted to drive in. And the biggest play that stuck out to me was, I think it was the third quarter, but he's driving in and he gets past the first guy. Obviously, that happened about 10 times in this game. But he's he's swooping up. I think he's driving from like the right baseline. He's at the apex of his jump and he gets met right at the rim. And it's not like he's, you know, having the ball right out there, but he's looking to go into his shot, kind of picking it up from his left arm, looking to make that push. He gets met and instead of just, you know, <laughs> taking the the block, he wanted to make it you know, a difficult thing, not just for himself to make it, but the defender to block the shot. So he kind of tucks the ball under his shoulder and he just sits there and he's waiting for his opponent to kind of de-escalate, de-elevate, whatever you want to call it. And he kind of pulls what I'd say is like a Hamadou Diallo, where I can hang up here longer than you can. And he just hangs and he's kind of on the, the downward trend. He's fallen and then he just shoots it right up. Soft touch off the back iron, plops in, he picks up his two points, and he looks like an elite finisher on that play. And this is why the Thunder wanted to take him, not just at 18, but also at 16. That's what reports have been saying, that Presti actually was looking at him at 16 before the Sengun trade. But 
yeah, I mean, the driving is really good for him. The ball handling is a lot higher than what you'd see from your typical mid-first-round pick. And, I mean, if he gets the shot together, he's going to look like a monster outside of the Summer League, obviously, into the NBA ranks, and he should be good. I don't know if you're going to have any strings where he's needing to play in the G League. You know, Ty Jerome did need to go there. Now, he had an injury he was coming off of. Different circumstance with Trey Mann, but you are kind of congested in that area. So he could be a star just like Wiggins in an OKC blue jersey. Maybe not just uh, for as long as a, uh, a tenure, I guess you could put it. But moving on to Teo Maladone, last game, he was a monster. He was the guy talking to Cassidy Hubbard, I think it was, after the game. They were expecting Cade Cunningham to be there with the microphone. Drops a double-double. He has 11 assists out of the 13 team assists. And he tied with a Pistons hat, right? And in this one, he just didn't put up that same outage. Like, he had an alright time of things. He ended up hitting two of his shots on the game to get a collective five points. But going two of 11 overall and one of seven from downtown. So this little virus of just not hitting threes was infectious and it hit Teo big time because he couldn't just drive right in hit somebody in the shooter's pocket and you're good to go it wasn't made that easy and the ball was not in his hands as much as it was in the first one I'd say Trey Mann he was the primary guy and you know Teo he had to adjust he kind of took that secondary role as you could see with how many shots he took from downtown but as a passer he still had three assists the big hitch, though, is he had five turnovers diced in there in his 29 minutes. And I'd expect that to kind of uh, peep back up, <laughs> however you want to say it. I think it's going to get better moving on into game three. But just kind of that curve and adjustment, definitely, when it comes to man and what he was doing. But I think he should be back on his feet. And Oscar De Silva, he was on his feet in this game. This is a person that I think everybody on Twitter will be raving about if they have not already been raving about him because he's a big man and he made a couple of threes. That's how you get to Thunder fans' hearts at this point, and he checked those boxes. So he had 11 points, one of just three guys to hit that margin. Um, but, you know, he kind of went right by that and actually had those five rebounds to kind of fix that palette up just a little bit so he has that the rebounds you just got to get down and dirty under the basket and he had a block diced into his game um but the big deal was the straightaway three and he was just a pick and pop guy that's what he was a little bit with stanford now he didn't shoot a ton this game he shot four threes and he nailed two of them he also has a pretty solid touch and when he gets to the free throw line he's not that bad either shot one of three in this game but with stanford he was actually above the curve for most people in his position. So people are going to like him. They're going to check him out in next game. We just got to make sure we have those pick and pop players because we do need to be able to stretch the floor. And it's primarily an issue in the backcourt as to why they're shooting so low. And you can put that up to the test when you check out Jeremiah Robinson Earl and what he did because he also hit two threes. And I think I got it mixed up a little bit. Oscar went two of two from three, but Jeremiah Robinson Earl, he was the one who went two for four, and that's still pretty damn accurate, and to, to top that off, I mean, he ends up going for eight points 
in this game, when you look at what he did inside, it wasn't as good as, you know, when Teo's dishing it to him down low. He just didn't have many of those kind of cuts into the rim as he usually does, but he was still solid. And then he has those two rebounds, two assists, two steals, and a block. Now, the other block that I mentioned earlier, that comes with a bit of an asterisk. So, I thought he was still solid, uh, and when you look kind of past JRE and all the draft picks, there wasn't a lot of success. I mean, you had Ryan Woolridge play, who I'm really happy got to see some of the spotlight. He didn't graze the court in game one, played 16 minutes, actually helped whenever the Thunder were in kind of their lowest points. He had a beautiful layup. He just slashes in pretty fast for a point guard. Then you had guys like Josh Hall, where he <laughs> didn't make a shot. He went 0 of 4 in this game, and he went 0 of 1 from downtown. Luckily, he had a free throw that went in, so he got on the board in that category. But yeah, I mean, he's just trying to be armed and dangerous. He's always trying to create contact, just like Trey Mann was in this game. But he's not like Mann, where he's 6'5", 6'6". Josh Hall's kind of leaning more towards 6'8", or 6'9", so you can see above defenders. And when he's matching up against those front court pieces at the rim, he has a solid chance to kind of hang and just too strong, just like it had been with Trey Mann previously. Charlie Brown Jr., you know, he picked it up really to begin the game, that first one, maybe two minutes where he had the dunk and the three. That was it for him. Finished the game with those five points, had five rebounds, shot two of eight in his 21 minutes. And Jalen Horde starting, he didn't play that much either. He, sh- he only played 20, or he played 19 minutes, excuse me, dropping five points and five rebounds, just like Charlie Brown Jr. did. But, you know, it was more looking towards the bench in this one. And I can kind of get behind that sentiment from Grant Gibbs. And this is kind of what the Summer League is for. You want to weigh every single option available. And they wanted to do that. So I'm happy with it. Rob Edwards, who I really, really like. Clemente, during the game, actually mentioned me. He's like, you know, what's going on with him? My defense, he did not play. He played four minutes and 13 seconds shot 0 of 2, and went 0 of 1 from downtown. I think he's going to play more, and if it's like game 1, he said, you know, you should see a lot more shots from him, and that's where you kind of get excited, because he can put up a lot of points in a very short span, and they're going to get that opportunity against the Golden State Warriors, as I talked about that game, will be played Friday. I think the start time is either 6 or 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'll get that to you in the next podcast, of course, but it's going to be nationally televised. You had NBA League Pass for this one. There was ESPN for the Pistons game, and you're good now because you got the Warriors, national television, and the next game to close things. I think it's also on one of the ESPN networks, so you should be good to go there. Maybe they look back at Jalen LeCue. He hasn't played yet. Emmett Williams has not played. Josh Giddy. His ankle does look pretty bad, um, but we'll see. So we'll check them all out, all 13 of those guys. Whoever plays, I'll be talking about them all. A lot to be impressed about, specifically from uh, Aaron Wiggins in this game, but we'll check him out in the next game. But anyways, guys, thank you all for listening. I will talk to you all next time. See ya.